On this week's episode of An Echo of Glory, we talk about that stunning turnaround against Sheffield United and we talk to an absolute Spurs legend in Paul Robinson. Welcome to another episode of An Echo of Glory. Joining me as always, Gary Diamond. Morning. Morning. And more <laughs> often than not now, I think it's three in a row, Jake Robson. That's called a hat trick. <laughs> it's called a hat trick. Uh, that's a really good run for you. No holidays? Well, I might have planned them around the pod this time. Oh, yeah, you said to me you're going on holiday again. I, I was, I was, I was away again? for a couple of days. Oh, you've been away? I've been away. Where'd See, you, you didn't even know. It didn't, didn't make even make any difference. Know. Where'd you go? I went to Spain. Went over the weekend. Yeah. Oh, you missed the Sheffield United game? Well, I watched it. I guarantee it was better being there than in Spain. No, well, of course <laughs> it was. But um, being abroad, I was able to w actually watch it because it was a three o'clock game. So happy days. Nice. On the beach, on the iPad. Away we went. I let you into a secret. I didn't go either. And I... Did you not? No. Why not? I'm so gutted. <laughs> no? I'm not going there? Yeah, no, 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 we'll no go there. We'll go there. I had a family thing and I tried to change it. And my mum, you know, she's the leader of the pack, right? And she put her foot down. She went, it's tradition. We got this lunch on Saturday. Uh, I said, it's tradition. I get Spurs at three o'clock on a Saturday. I lost the battle. But we watched it. Me and my dad snuck away. Uh, and we watched it. So... Gary can tell us all about being there later. I will revel in it. Actually, I, what I want to do, actually, we'll come to the game itself, but last-minute winners, and I want you to give me your favourite last-minute winner, and you can't mention the words Lucas, Mora, or Ajax. Champions League semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Okay. I... I for me, he reminded me of you're way too young for this, uh, Jake. An Andy Turner goal against Everton, oh. where I ran down the high road after. I think in the in the driving rain, uh, we sort of turned the game around late. Whatever happened to Andy Turner, I don't know. And then a year later, I think Garen, Darren Kasky did it. Kind of brought back those memories uh, for me. So you've gone Champions League semi final. No, 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 no. Because I'm not allowed, so I'll change. Okay, it. I'll change it. Um, so last minute winners, you got Alan Nielsen in of course. the. Uh, yeah. In the League Cup final, that was big. That was a great moment. It was in the stand behind the goal, and it was like mm. slow motion. Didn't even realise it was. Just saw this blonde thing flying through the yeah. air, and it was, what a moment that was. Yeah. Um, okay, that's yours. You only had one. Oh no, but I got another great one. Go on, then. Nineteen ninety-five, Jurgen Klinsmann away at Anfield in the fifth round of the FA oh, Cup yeah, was yes. stunning, and 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 it was down. It was down in front of the cop, and there's a camber on the uh, on the Anfield pitch so in the away end you couldn't actually see the ball go in you saw it go over David James I think it was but if you actually watch it back and I was in the stands we couldn't really see that the ball had gone in and when you watch it back you, you see Klinsman start to wheel away and that's when the away the end moment. knew yeah. but that was a great moment Jake as well. I don't think it was last minute but that bail goal at West Ham yeah well can I tell you why I remember that yeah that my daughter was born a few hours later Oof. and I I was working on that game at, from home and just as Howard Webb I think it was Howard Webb blew the whistle for kickoff my wife comes out holding a lasagna going we need to go to hospital <laughs> <laughs> uh, my waters have broken so yeah memory for me that for a different reason but yeah yeah it was pretty late well, I just had a look 90, 90th minute I mean what a what a I mean the, obviously the it's only a regular league game you know you're, you're talking about cup games and stuff but to, to win it like that as well away yeah. at West Ham it was just like the bail had been so good and mm. I just I was watching at home and I just uh, I think yeah. that was Tom Carroll's only Premier League assist <laughs> what an assist I, I had told my father and my to-be father-in-law that day I'd asked him if I could marry his daughter and I was taking her away on holiday the next day and um, I was round his house he never watched the football with me so she knew something was up because he started watching the football with me and it was that <laughs> game <laughs> And Bale was ripped into the top corner. And I think he suddenly regretted <laughs> telling me earlier in the day, of course you can marry my daughter. Okay, so that game brings back so many exactly memories. So you just turned into an animal. Yeah, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay. Johnny, I like how you were working at home even before working from home was, was, a, was a thing. That's yeah, good. I was working for a, a, a stats company in Europe and we had to sort of provide them info on live games uh, from home. You just sit at home watching football. Basically, yep. Um, okay. As we always like to do, we're going to start with... Sorry, topical, by oh, the way. Okay. Also, just a week after that game, we beat Arsenal at White Hart Lane um, in a, the, the very next game. Is that just Lennon and Bale? Yeah. yeah. Just just topical, as we've got North London derby. Sorry, carry we on. We do. No, thank you. So, a bit of club news. No game for the under-21s. They are away to Colchester in the EFL Trophy tonight oh, before they play... memories. 
Colchester. Yeah. yeah. League Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Anyway, yeah. go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another trip down. Last week was a trip down. Me- it's always a trip down memory lane here. They play Stoke away on Monday in the league. The under-18s won 4-2 at home. Be Brighton. They sit fifth. Gary, I got a text from you Saturday morning going something along the lines of the under-18s on fire. I looked at the score. Yeah. It was 4-0. Obviously, they let in a couple of goals, but another big win for them. They play at home to Reading next. Bit of news for the women's team. Beth England has been named captain. She'll miss the start of the season following hip surgery. And with that, because basically Beth's the only one who scores any goals. They've signed Scotland international Martha Thomas, who came in from Man United on deadline day. I think there's an international week for the ladies this week, and then the season starts. Uh, start of October, right. Saturday. Two bits of history created on Saturday. Uh, we recorded our best ever start to a league campaign since 1965-66. The sixth game that season, oh, we played Arsenal, like we do this year. It was at home. And we drew 2-2, having been 2-0 down. But also, in turning the game on its head, um, it's the, it's the uh, oldest, sorry, the latest oldest, the latest <laughs> comeback in Premier League history, beating our own record uh, away to Leicester last season. So, mental game. Let's go to the start of it. An unchanged starting eleven. Surprisingly, everybody came back from international duty without injury. I think that's probably a third record that it's we've created. Because that's never, never happened. happened. So, a bit of club history created there. Were you surprised by an unchanged team I think we debated quite a lot as to the only real change would it be Richarlison up top or Son and you can understand why he's gone with Son after a hat-trick it's, it's, it's hard to, to change a winning team um, the feeling was I think from from you and I that, that, that Richarlison would be better suited against a team like Sheffield United I think you, you made the case for Son so basically no, Jake was wrong and we no, were No, there's no right or wrong. Listen, Richarlison came on and obviously impacted the game in a, in, in a great way, but would he have had that impact from the beginning? It t- all's well that ends okay. Yeah. Jake, talk to us. Where were you watching it in Spain? How yeah, were you, I was how, on the beach. You were on the beach? Not going to lie. I was on the beach. Yeah, but you can't let you can't let holiday get in the way of football. No, and you, so, didn't, and you I, didn't. And I never will. Any surprise when you saw the team or happy with it? No, I, w- I wasn't surprised when I saw the team. I, I thought the winning, the as I said uh, before, the winning, the winning team. I thought to 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 have changed that. Managers don't tend to do that anyway. Mm. And I also felt, particularly with the with what Richarlison had said in midweek, or what had come out of what he'd said when he was away with Brazil. Obviously, everyone's behind him. But it just didn't feel like it was going to be the right time for him to start a game. And actually, as it turned out, I mean it's probably turned out better than Ange could have even imagined. For him to come on like that and to score and to have such an impact, having been so brave and so bold to come out and say what he said in midweek, it's just it's just turned out perfectly. But as far as the starting 11 goes, I think Son going f- through the middle, Solomon from the left, Kulisevsky, I mean, that is a, that is, that's a decent front three. Yeah, it's a decent front three, but we spoke to Paul Walker last week and we knew that Sheffield United were going to come and they were going to sit and they were going to be very different to Burnley and they did their thing and they time-wasted and they got injured and they created their own water breaks and they re- they played the game and... I they really we, disrupted it. And tried they disrupted to it, it and I think maybe the ref fell for it a little bit. Um, they got their comeuppance, of course, in the second half with, with 12 minutes added. Is there a little concern that teams that want to come and do that will do that and with Son down the middle I just don't think he's the man for those games and we discussed this with Ali as well previously on here I'm just not convinced it's a difficult one because I think increasingly lesser teams will will do that more and more against us as we start to continue to demonstrate that we are a very good footballing team we're an aggressive progressive forward football team that wants to score lots of goals teams won't really have an option that they're going to want to come and and sit and disrupt the flow and not let us get into a rhythm at all um so we we had discussed at length son up front or not we'd also discussed at length that a, a game against a team like Sheffield United is going to concern me personally a lot more than uh than a team like Burnley that, that that want to play against us. I think I was bold in my prediction last week and said 4-0 because I felt an early goal and, and we would really sweep them away. Um, but it turned out to be every bit as tough a game mm. as a team like that is always going to create. They did it to Manchester City as well. So this isn't a an us issue. This is a... And, and, and Everton did it against, against Arsenal. You know, any team, every Premier League team that 
it is going to be organized and sit in and not make mistakes and it's going to be hard to score it just is you need that bit of creativity that bit of magic that something to get through um and then there's the question of do you need a traditional big number nine who can sort of occupy two center backs and take them out of it draw them out of position create the space and so on son's not going to do that no. richarlison straight away when he came on did but do that. in games like that if you don't have that big number nine you sort of need your 10 to be on it i didn't think i love him i just didn't think it was madison's best game but, you know, we, we've seen a number of number 10s struggle in games like that. We spoke, I think, last week about, you know, times when Haaland and, and Burnley under Daesh would come to, to, to our place and make it really difficult. And Ericsson would struggle yeah. against those teams. And when you're relying on one person to pick a lock, then it's, an, it's a lot of pressure on that person. What, what needs to happen better is the speed of passing around the box and drawing players out and then passing around them with the, with, with the nice triangles and so on. That that needs to be better. I think Brighton do it superbly well. I haven't watched enough of Brighton to know if teams sit in as deep against them. Maybe they don't give Brighton quite as much respect because they're Brighton, but they ought to give mm. Brighton that much respect. But it seems that you know, it's those fast triangle passing that, that, that draws teams out and creates the spaces in behind that I felt we didn't quite get right the other day. But we're still a work in progress. Correct, Sheffield yeah. United are, are, are a good, solid defensive yeah. unit. And Jake, yeah. Jake, um, when we went 1-0 down, I was thinking at this point, for the first time, about, about he who shall not be named. Were you thinking about, oh God, these are the games we're going to miss him? Um, no, I, I actually think... I actually thought that when we went 1-0 down, I wasn't that worried. That was their second, I think it was their second shot they'd had in the game. There was that header, wasn't there? Mm. Well, they had a shot in the first half that Vicario made a very good save. Sure, it would have got disallowed for offside. Possibly, but he didn't. He wasn't to know that. And yeah, then they had a header right at the end, McBurney headed that, that it straight. It. So it was their, yeah. third, their third attempt on goal. You see how the game was going. I still felt... Madison did look a bit off it, didn't he? Passes were going long. He didn't quite have his range, did he? Mm. Sort of saw final balls and he and he couldn't quite couldn't quite get it together. I did feel that we would score at some point. And when the I have to say, when the time went up at the end, mm. I, I was I was I was almost I was almost convinced we'd score one. And I knew when we score one, we'll get to. We well, we'll come to that. We'll to come it. to that. We're going back to just to them scoring. I think there was a feeling. Sorry, I jumped the gun. That's okay. That's <laughs> okay. Um, there was a feeling that maybe po- uh, I'm about to call him Potch. Good God. <laughs> Poster Coglu, Ange, Ange, had left the subs a bit late. But he then later said in his interview, well, I knew we were going to get approximately 10 minutes. So in his head, when they scored after 73 minutes, he knew there was still about 25 minutes left. But I did feel the subs were too late. Johnson comes on with Perisic. Johnson scores a, a lovely goal. I don't know how he squeezed that in. Uh, but he was offside. Gary, you were there. It felt even up to the goal. A little flat. I'm not. Conv- did you think the crowd and did you feel we were going to get back in it? It's a funny one because I was there with my daughter and, and um, she was saying we're, we're not going to get back into it. I mean, she's young, right? But but she's I, already got it now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 I kept saying to her, once we get one, it's like what Jake said just there. Once we get one, mm. we will go on. And I said it from the very first minute of the game. I said the hardest thing in this game is going to be getting the first goal. But once we get one, we'll go on and get two, three, four. And she actually asked me a great question. She said, why is the first goal so hard then? I was like, oh, I don't know, actually. I've got no answer to that. But once we get one, we will go on. Obviously, as time ticks on, you start to get more and more nervous. I don't think the crowd were flat. I think there was the belief. We had an interesting conversation, I think, post-United, about would would the crowd have stuck with us Mm. um, if we had gone a goal down? And, And we sort of made the point that as long as the crowd can see us trying to score goals and trying to play the way we want, then probably they would stick with us. And I did mm. feel as though at no point the crowd got on the team's back. Um, there was the belief retained throughout, and particularly when those 12 minutes went up, there was a real surge, a resurgence of, of, of belief because it was felt there was always going to be a chance. And I think as a minimum, we felt we'd get a point. As time ticked on, three points seemed less and less likely, but I always felt there was at least a point and even that would have been unjust for us. The the game, as the game wore on, it felt to me not like this is a problem going forward. It just felt like we weren't maybe at our absolute best or as good as we maybe seen. And that was partly down to the way Sheffield United set up. And they they were like a, they were, it it felt like they were 
you, there won't be many teams that can set up and be as, as well organised. They're very organised. They've blocked everything. At, at, away at us, yeah. I but think, going forward. I mean, you look at the other teams, because I, I suddenly thought off the top of my head, well, actually, these days, not as many teams play like that as used to. I mean, mm. everyone's trying to play football at the moment. Brighton, Villa, mm. Newcastle, just going down mm. the table. Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Uh, Brentford, yeah, even so, Burnley. So you might get an Everton who come to do it, but it might not be as good That's at it. That's exactly what I'm saying. Even you know, even when Fulham will probably try and, and come and uh, yeah. go for it, but they, I can't see many teams being as good and as well as well oiled as Sheffield United. Are it it can't be underestimated as well. And, and I know we don't want to talk too much about the ref because we should always look inwardly at ourselves and, and how we could have been better. But when you get, for me, a clear-cut nailed-on penalty mm. in the first half, I think it was about a half-hour mark on I Madison. I think it was a bit later than that. Whenever it was, yeah. right? The the refs and VAR, they've, 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 they've got to get that right. I've seen much softer penalties given through VAR this season. Son, Sobolewski um, for, for Liverpool. Sobolewski? Well, I can't say his name. <laughs> right, I don't know his name. Um, but, you know... These Sobolewski. Whatever. Um, these are much, much... So he doesn't play for Spurs, not my concern. Um, these are much softer penalties. Yeah. And the ref, if he gives that, and we have that great opportunity from the spot to go one up, it's a very yeah, different Yeah, but we game. don't get that moment that you'll never forget. No, of course. Listen, of course, 100%. And looking back, I'd much rather the game played out the way it did. Yeah. But in these games, when you have a big decision like that, the refs have got to get it right because it changes everything fundamentally. The time-wasting goes out the window. They don't do that anymore. Mm. They have to come out a little bit more. And we probably go on to win 2-3-4-0. And that's a big moment in the game. Yeah. Let, just talking about the way we played after we conceded. I remember last year when we were chasing games, certainly Sporting and Marseille in the Champions League. We were relentless. We were, to be fair, and the crowd were up and it felt like we, we were going to score. But it seemed to be all Perisic crosses, I remember. It was a lot of crosses to Kane. You know, Richarlison got on the end of two against Marseille. Uh, by the way, all, all, his headers, all his goals for the club now have been, have been headers. It's been nice for him to score with his feet at some point. But, the way we played. No, no, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. The way we played, even the corner that we won for Richarlison's goal, Romero was almost at walking pace, looking for a party. He ended chipped that ball into Perisic. The second goal was such it was a Hoiberg. beautiful... It was Hoiberg headed it back across, I think it was. Who, yes, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Um, the second goal was so beautiful. You watched that back and I've watched it mm. probably 50 times at all different angles. It was so beautiful. And they stuck to their principles. Mm. And even after five games, that you can just see what is happening. And it's great to see. But also, the energy. I'm pretty sure it started from a turnover, wasn't it? Mm. The, the, the second goal, yeah. Yeah, the, the second goal. Udogi, yeah. To, be, to be still, to still have that energy. What, what are we talking? What, 98, nine minutes in. To still have to still have and, and after only five games to still have the belief that the, the system is going to work mm. and Ange has managed to get that into them. Okay, he's had the preseason as well. Five games. It just, I mean, this is why I, this is why I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I'm not I'm not getting ahead of myself. But and you said you're allowed to. <laughs> but it just feels a bit different, and you can see so quickly what Tottenham are trying, what he's trying to do what we are doing and that it's working and we've only had five games and that is why and we haven't had lucky wins okay you could maybe say on another day we might not have beaten Sheffield United but the other wins have been we've played them other teams off the park this is why I'm, I'm I don't think it's getting ahead of myself to be really excited about what could be to come this season and great to see Richie scoring yeah I think what was really good uh, one thing that did cross my mind during the game was I wondered if Ange was stuck and didn't know what to do uh, because the substitutions were so late and his, substitu well. his substitutions in previous games have been so impactful mm. and seem to be the right decisions and what I do really like is that actually I should have trusted him because all five subs that came on Hoiberg as well in particular by the way I mean I don't in particular Rich Hardison obviously one goal one assist right but Hoiberg had a big well, impact we talked about this on, on both goals what he can do when he comes on because he's mm. not only do I think he's a good player and we've talked about him being maybe held back by previous managers he's a leader and to have a leader on the bench, when if we had a leader coming off the bench mm. in, a, in, a, in a league game? Very, very rarely. So I was surprised, though, actually, that Kulisewski stayed on the pitch. I, d I know he's improving a little bit and didn't have his best game, but he went central and it was a brilliant goal. Oh, it's, it's, it's just such a good goal. I mean, I think um, the keeper was closed down, so straight away the pressing was there, which is why he tried to chip it out to the wing. 
Udogi saw it coming, was on his man like a rash, nicked it clean as you like, really, really beautiful. Played it into um, Hoiberg. He did that against Burnley, by the way. Madison's yeah, goal, Udogi Madison's was... goal was exactly that. Yeah, exactly. And and it's all come from that Udogi press. Plays it into Hoiberg. Plays a lovely little ball to Perisic, I, I think it Great is. Ball. Um, and then Perisic into Richardson. And what's interesting is I wonder if Richardson hasn't got that goal moments before, if he has that composure and confidence to slip it in beautifully weighted that's not an easy pass, you know. He gets his head up. You watch it back. He gets his head up. He sees Kulisevsky. What also happens is that Kulisevsky is running pretty quick and then stops because mm. he realises he just has to hold his run a little bit. Yeah. If he doesn't take, if he takes another stride, he probably doesn't receive the ball in the right place. The whole thing was just wonderful. But, but Richarlison's touch off to him was was so perfect. Yeah. And then I think the most perfect thing about it, as you watch it back, is there is that moment of silence. Mm before Kulisevsky hits it. You see the crowd swells as as as, as Richardson slips it in, you hear the gone and, and and then it's just silence until the ball hits the back of the net and then bedlam. There was brilliant commentary from Rob Daly on the Spurs, official Spurs commentary. Just as we start to move forward in that attack. Spurs are up. Spurs are up. The yeah. crowd is up. Yeah. And it's like sends a little shivers down your spine. Yeah. Um and he got Rob was a brilliant commentator. He really got that moment. Yeah. But as you say, uh, they said that little hush and then the roar. And then the limbs. Yeah. And uh, Gary, talk to us about the limbs. Uh, well, it's the moment that I can pinpoint that my daughter fell in love with Tottenham. <laughs> no, honestly, it, it, it's yeah. such a great moment. And people say it was only Sheffield United. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It was a tough game. And to win and to win a game in that manner and in that style is, um, you know, everybody that was there will remember it. It, it, it was absolutely stunning I think there was another couple of minutes to the end of the game nobody sat back down um, it, it, and then afterwards um, you know the, the, the music in, in the stadium na, 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 and all of that sort of stuff and my daughter's up on the seats like going nuts and then I took her down to the south stand and uh, she's on my shoulders having a, a good sing song like it was it was it was just a brilliant brilliant moment and, and I think with how the club is feeling at the minute the positivity around it it just continued riding that crest of a wave and, and, and maybe even added momentum to it. It, it was a magic moment. Celebration police, where are you on all that, Jake? What do you mean? No, no, but like people go, what, it's only Sheffield United at home. No, what? I think... I I do think there are there are ways to celebrate a win, but if you're going to win in with two goals after 90 minutes, yeah. that, no, I, I, that, I, like, that's just it, isn't it? Like... If we'd beaten them two one, we'd scored in the sixtieth and the seventieth or whatever. Then yeah, yeah you don't go to yeah, yeah yeah absolutely. You but take the win, but hundred percent. If you're going to win like you're that, you're not going to get those scenes. No, though. definitely there, not. There were some great moments you can trawl through Twitter. <laughs> this guy, I spoke to him on on Twitter. He's given us permission to use this. D Robbo at D Robbo on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Eurostar tickets, 600 euros. Match tickets times five, 250 euros. Money spent at club shop, 150 euros. Hotel, 180 euros. Food and drink, 60 euros. Watching Spurs score in the 100th minute and giving giving my kids a memory to remember with their dad, yeah. priceless. Yeah, that. And, and, and a shout out to Sam Cornish on, on Twitter as well. He takes brilliant photos every game. And, and he, unbeknown to me at the time when we were under that South Stand, caught a, a, a fantastic moment of my daughter on my shoulders. Um, Given it large, as he put it on Twitter, yeah, um, nice. and and it is, it's, it's as D. Robbo says yeah, there, yeah. it's it's a priceless memory with their dad. And you know, the first thing I thought of actually on that was when I start to take my son to football, is he ever going to get a moment like that? Because it is so unique, so rare, so special. And I hope she realizes that that's not what it's like all no. the time. Um, but but you know, I almost felt bad for my for my son, who's uh, five tomorrow. You know, I just felt like almost instantly bad that he may never get a moment as magical as that. He'll have moments. This club will always do that to you. Yeah, that's true. And so a great uh, message from Robbo who came over from from France for the game. And there was this image from uh, Grumpy at Pugtastrophe on on Twitter. After Kuda's winner, Madison decides to go down with cramp in inverted commas in their opposition half. As always, if you're listening to the pod, you can watch this on on YouTube and and see these images. This is an image of James Madison uh, basically pretending that he's got cramp uh, after all these Sheffield United antics. So the whole ground, it was just bedlam at this point, wasn't it? Yeah, I noticed Madison go down and I thought to myself, you've got to love him for that bare-faced cheek. It was brilliant. So we're all up and we're all happy and we're unbeaten. And it's our best start since 1965 and latest ever Premier League win and everyone's happy. And then on Sunday, we go to the graveyard that is 
the Emirates Stadium, where we've won once in the Premier League. Talk to me, Jake. How are you feeling? Because I hate it. I'm really looking forward to it. Really? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Do you like this game? I, I like this game, yeah. I like this game for a couple of reasons. I like this game because of where we are at the moment. We're, we're as you said, we're up. We're, we're just, I don't think we now need to fear any opposition based on what I've seen in the, the opening five games. And I think Ange has brought that back because I remember in the game against Arsenal at home last mm. season, it was the first time in a long, long time where I, we were going into a big game at home, especially. And I thought, I don't fancy us today. I don't mm. fancy to, to even, we're going to lose basically. And they took us to pieces. They took mm. us to pieces. But I hadn't felt that as a Tottenham fan. Poch, Redknapp, you know, the last few years, even, you know, Mourinho, he wasn't really there long enough for it to kind of fade away. And when Conte came in for those first, uh, the, the first six months, or whatever it was, we, we, we just went into the big games and you always felt we'd have a chance. We may not win, but you felt that we would be in the game. And I remember going, uh, going to the Arsenal game at home last season and I thought, nah, there's no chance today. But we're going into the Arsenal game this weekend. I think we are now back at that point. Okay. I don't necessarily think we will win, but I've, I've got, I've got every, every confidence that we could do something. All right. Should you we? Not? No, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I can't, sometimes can't watch it. I just want it out of the way. It's like going to the dentist. You just got to get it done. But the but... other thing is, is that I think there's a chance, because I, because I feel like we have a chance... It's a chance to do something in our biggest game. I know of the there season. is. I'm already feeling nervous. My heart rate's just got <laughs> genuinely. I'm starting to get. I can't bear it. I don't mind playing them at home. I love that game. Right away from home. No. Shall we do what we normally, what we always do on this pod, which is get the view of an opposition fan? No, no, we're not giving them that courtesy. You don't want to talk to an opposition. Absolutely fan? not. No, no. But we no, always no, get no. a Sheffield United no, fan, that, that, Burnley fan. Yeah, I know that's what we do. We're not having a gooner on this pod. We're not extending that courtesy. I'm not right. sitting here speaking to one of them. I would rather yeah. speak to an absolute Tottenham legend, somebody who gets us, somebody who loves us, somebody who knows what it is to play for Spurs. What, proper hero. What about a Spurs legend who actually fits into our sort of one goal for the club series? Even better. Even better? All right, we'll do that instead. Delighted to now be joined by one of the most popular men down the lane in recent years. 175 appearances, one goal. Welcome to the show, Paul Robinson. <laughs> thanks for having me Hello. one goal I like got that in <laughs> well, we'll come to, we will come to that at some point definitely let's just go back to the start of your Spurs journey May 2004 you joined from Leeds where you'd had a, a good time but I'd say a roller coaster time am I right in thinking that actually we might have signed you a few months earlier and then sent you back to Leeds on loan but the Premier League wouldn't ratify it ratify it so the deal had been in the pipeline for quite some time yeah I was there in the January window uh, the last day of the window the deal was done between the two clubs. I'd done my medical, agreed my contract, and it got to the what was it, the, whatever hour it was, trying to lodge the paperwork with the uh, the, the Premier League. And Leeds were in such a mess at the time that they, they were trying to get incomings, outgoings. They didn't know what was what. And I think the plan was to send me back to to Leeds on loan. Um, but obviously Leeds had taken too many loan players at the time, so that the deal for me would have been done in January. Had, had the had Leeds have got their shopping order at the time. And it was a difficult one for me it, it, to go back. Um, Daniel Levy and John Alexander, the, the the secretary at the time, shook my hand and went, we'll see you in the summer. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll revisit this in the summer. Mm -hmm. And to their credit, listen, I went on to ship 50 goals and we got relegated and they still come back and bought me. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, it was a great signing uh, for Spurs. But what... Were you always keen to come to come down to London? I know that you you spoke to Nicky Barmby and Terry Venables about joining the club, but was it an easy move? It was a difficult move for me because I was so young, but I think you're young and fearless at that time. I think I was 23, 24 maybe, probably 23 at the time. Um, and all I'd done is is, put, is play for Leeds. And the year before, I had the opportunity to to join Aston Villa. Um, David O'Leary is the manager of Aston Villa, and I went for talks with Aston Villa. Um, but my club, Leeds, was still in the Premier League. And my family situation at the time... I was just about to have my first daughter and, and Leeds were in the Premier League. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to move. And I got a lot of stick from Villa fans at the time because they thought it was financial. They thought it was because, you know, I didn't get what I wanted at Villa. And the crux of the whole situation was my my family were in a situation that I didn't want to move them. My club Leeds was still in the Premier League. My preference was Leeds and not Aston Villa. Um and 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 that was that was that was it really. But when the time came for me to join Spurs, it was kind of the last man out the door. I was kind of pushed. I had to go. I knew I was going. But it was, it was a great move for me. It was a fantastic move for me at the time to, to move to such a huge club. Um, but at the time, I, I kind of knew in the second half of that season 
that there was always a chance that they'd come back for me at the end of the season, but it was never guaranteed. Paul, and then, of course, it was a bit of a sort of funny start for the side, really, wasn't it, when you arrived? Santini taking over obviously didn't last very long. How, how were those kind of 13 games in charge? Well, I signed for the club and they didn't have a manager. I signed for Pleaty when Pleaty was, like, advising Daniel on, on players. Um, so I signed for Pleaty and, I mean, he's, he's such a great man and he's got the club at heart and he's, he's been great for recruitment over the years. And I really got on with him, enjoyed what he was saying, the, the visions for the club going forward. And then, then the manager came in after I'd already signed. So it was it was kind of an interesting, it was a strange one as a player because there's not many players that sign for a club without a manager in charge. So when Santini came in, you look at his track record, you look at his CV, you're thinking, OK, Spurs thinking outside the box, bringing in a manager of real quality with a, a really good CV. Um, but it just didn't work for whatever reason. Um, the language barrier was was a real problem. Um, and, and that was the case with, with Juan de Ramos as well, further down the line. But I think with, with Jacques, it was... It was difficult for him. Um, his first job in the Premier League and his last job in the Premier League, if you like, and that's, that, yeah. that's the reason why. Yeah, and then we come to, to August 2004, your debut at home uh, to Liverpool. Uh, memories of that day, I was a one-all one draw. We had Eric Edmond on uh, the show uh, last week, a game that he played in as well. Uh, so last week, a few weeks ago. Uh, just the memories of that day. I was just playing at White Hart Lane. I mean, it was always one of my favourite grounds as, as an away team player. And I think you, you you listen and you speak to a lot of ex-players, the amount of players that will say that they loved playing at White Hart Lane and the atmosphere and the the intimacy of the crowd. And it, I just hit it off straight away with the crowd. Um, it was it was just a really special day for me. And listen, Leeds Leeds is a huge club and Leeds United is one of the biggest supported clubs in Europe and the, the, the fan base that they've got. But it felt like I'd signed for a, a massive football club. The the support, the, the stadium, um, pulling that, that jersey on. And it meant a lot. It really did. It was, and I had a lot, a lot to do because I think a lot of people saw me as Casey Keller's understudy when I was first signed. But I had a decent pre-season, and then for me to get the to get the jersey on the first game of the season, um, that's that's pre-hair transplant as well. Look at that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to ask. I wish, what happened, I wish I had that body now, but I wouldn't swap the hair. <laughs> um, but no, it was it was just a fantastic uh, occasion for me. Paul, very quickly after Jack Santini, uh, Martin Yo uh, took control, and, and I sort of have often on this pod credited Martin Yo as, as the godfather of modern day Tottenham. He was the manager that re-established Spurs in the top five, gave us a credibility back, and and made us a, a club that was no longer a pushover, and we were a serious team again. What was it like to play under Martin Yo at that time? Oh, listen, for, for what you say, picking up on your original point, I completely agree with you. And I've, I've gone on record saying that. Mm. I think the mod-day Tottenham of, of what Pochettino picked up and took on, Harry Redknapp took on, Martin put the foundations in for that. You know, the, 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 the solid structure underneath the team was was put in by Martin. And the way of playing, um, I mean, that was thrown out the window in recent 12, 18 months with Conte and Mourinho, but we, we won't <laughs> talk about that. But the style of football under Martin and um, Harry Redknapp after that, and then Pochettino, you, you're quite right, Martin was the catalyst for that. Yeah. Martin was a great man-manager, um, took everything to heart, took everything really personal. Um, you could see how much it meant to him. It wasn't, you know, when, when times were good, it was fantastic. But when, when results weren't going quite well, you could see how much he took it to heart and how much he took it personally. Um, I got on really well with him, still do. Um, and I always related and worked well with managers that were good man managers, mm. that the door was always open. Mm. If you weren't playing, they'd tell you you weren't playing. And then you could go in and ask them why you weren't playing. They'd give you reasons and tell you how you had to be back in the team. And Martin was exactly like that. And then we come a little bit later to the 17th of March, 2007. Paul, you'd already scored a goal uh, in your career. I remember a header, I think, for, for Leeds uh, against Swindon. But we get a free kick just outside the box at home to Watford. And I, and I have to admit, I was at this game and I I don't think I've bought a match day programme since because I looked down into my programme and then 10 seconds later, the ball's bouncing over Ben Foster's head. So I sort of <laughs> caught the end of the goal, uh, but not, not the strike up the pitch. What are your memories of that? Um, it was a bit of a blur, really, at the time. I just remember thinking, was it an indirect free kick? Uh, the, the ball went straight and I didn't want to celebrate because I wasn't sure whether the goal was going to be given or not. I remember you it looked was... a bit tentative when you put your arms up. Yeah, you didn't... and that's why I was just kind of, is that going to be given? Is that not going to be given? Um, it was just a freak. I mean, I, I always had good distribution. I think I'm one of the old older keepers that would be okay in the modern day game with the mm -hmm. distribution. But we had Mido playing at the time. And I think it was it was a free kick that was it was it wasn't particularly windy, but I just launched it towards Mido, 
And as as we know, if it doesn't land in his ten yard circle, he doesn't. Know where he is. <laughs> 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 but although he, there he is, there like, jumping on me, <laughs> he managed to run back and celebrate. But no, I think uh, it was just a it was obviously not intentional. It was just a complete fluke. It was just a long punt downfield. And at the time, I think it was um, there was talk of Ben Foster taking my England place. I wasn't playing particularly well. The whole thing at the, before that game was uh, Robinson versus Foster. The young pretender is going to take his England shirt. And then I go and do that, and a complete freak. It was, I mean, I mean, just one of them things, isn't it? Mm. The goal that I scored for Leeds was like a Roy of the Rovers moment. It was last minute header, obviously meant, and then went on to save a couple of penalties and won the game. That was just a fluke, but I'm, it's it's something that stays with me forever. Still got all that kit. I've got the boots, gloves, nice shorts, socks, shorts, and the ball. So you probably heard the story about the ball before. I got taken all the kit. I said to the kit man after the game, I said, "Look, I'm taking taking all the kit." Anyway, oh, this is the Leeds goal, yeah, that you're rolling in. That's uh, oh, that's a great header, great header, great header. Top header, Woof. strikers would be happy with that, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a decent one. That was it was the run across the near post. Yeah, it's the one that you don't see before that though. They, they they played the corner short, and I just turned around and looked back at the goal and thought, "I'm not running back there. I'm staying up." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back to the the to the ball that the the, um, the referee had actually pinched the ball that the day of my goal for Tottenham. So I said to the kit man, I said, "I'm taking all my kit." He went, where's, he said, have you got the ball? I went, oh, no, I never thought of that. He went, where's the match ball? So he went out on the pitch, went out looking around, see if we could find the match ball. Gone. With that, he comes running back five minutes later, out of breath. I'm like, with a ball under his arm. Where have you been? He went, just been to get the ball off the referee in the car park. He just came in the car. The oh. Was having it oh, nice. I just wanted to ask you quickly, um, with regards to, to Ben Foster, there's a keeper's union. Have you ever discussed it with him? Has he ever said anything to you on that? Yeah, I mean, there was an England squad get-together after that. I mean, it was just a, it's a passing moment. It was nothing. You don't sit down and talk about it in depth. It's just a, mate, apologies. And he's just like, I can't believe you've done that. <laughs> like, you can see what he's done, though. He's, he's thought his centre-half's going to head it. He's, in the, he's out of position. I think he's talked yeah. about it in the past. He's out of position because he thought his centre-half's going to head it. His centre-half thought that the goalie was going to have it. They both left it to each other, and it's just taken a hell of a bounce. Yeah. And then let's let's just just move it on slightly. You mentioned actually that Martin Yoll, one of the reasons you liked playing for him so much was that he was very straight and kind of if you weren't playing, you knew that kind of thing. When we get to kind of midway through 07, 08 and we're getting towards that, uh, cat was well, it wouldn't have been Carabao Cup, it would have been Carling Cup, Carling Cup mm. time. Yeah, the amount of Carling in the dressing room afterwards, I presume it was Carling. <laughs> <laughs> But you, you were kind of sort of starting to be a bit in and out of the team at that point. What was that like? And, and did, did did Ramos kind of talk to you about that? Or, or how did that all come about? No, me and one day never got on. Never got on from day one. He had a preconceived idea of me uh, in a similar way that Pep did with Joe Hart when he came in into City. Um, but I think one day he had a preconceived idea about me and, and the way that I kept goal. And I wasn't playing particularly well. The Croatia incident that happened with England, my confidence had taken a knock and I was struggling for consistent form. And he just wasn't the manager I needed at that time. I needed a manager like Martin Yol at the time, somebody who would man-manage you rather than just turn a flip chart over and tell you you're not in the team. That's what one day did. I mean, I knew that I wasn't playing particularly well and the relationship between us wasn't good. Um, but then when he dropped me, they just turned the flip chart over. I go to see him and we, all, we his, his lack of English was always a problem. But when he wanted his lack of English to be a problem, he used it to his advantage. His door was always closed. I couldn't go and see him and say, look, I'm struggling with this. I know I've been left out. What can I do? How do I get better? And he wasn't there for you as a player, as not not me personally anyway. And in, when he started taking me in and out of the team, it was funny when he put me in when he needed me and then he'd take me out. And that just didn't do any good for you as a confidence as a goalkeeper. And that hampered me even worse than it was at the time. Um, and it, it was difficult for me. So with, with him arriving, I kind of knew at that time that at Tottenham, the writing was was kind of on the wall for me. And, you know, we talk about my, my move to, to Blackburn, but with hindsight, if I'd have stayed and stuck it out and swallowed my pride and sat on the bench a bit longer, Harry would have been a manager I'd have loved to have played for. Yeah. And I should have probably now, with with, with hindsight, with, with wisdom and age, I look back at it now and I think, you stay here, you'll last longer than him because he's not going to win much more. But mm. it, it wasn't the case. But, but it did lead, Paul, for me, uh, it was an unfortunate time for you, but for me, it led to uh, one of my magic magic moments as a Spurs fan, and, and it involves you. And I think it was because you were on the bench, and this was Valentine's Day 2008, away in Prague, playing Slavia Prague in the first leg of, uh, <laughs> of the UEFA Cup. And um, 
it was a freezing cold night and and I think there's about 4000 of us in that away bank the running track between the pitch and, uh, and 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 the stand and you stayed out a little bit longer because it was Radek Cherny in goal which was a weird situation in itself because he was on loan from Slavia mm. Prague um but you stayed out and warmed up a bit longer and then sort of unprompted and I've never seen anything like this before and I've never seen it since you just turned around to us and sort of went shh got the crowds quieted down and then from the top of your voice just bellowed out Oh, when the Spurs <laughs> go marching. <laughs> what, I mean, just I've just got to say, first and foremost, thank you for that. Because I think sometimes players don't realise how much we appreciate it. And um, we see players today give away sort of their tops and that to an individual fan. And that's something that an individual fan will remember forever. But you touched 4,000 fans in, in, in one go there and, and gave us a memory that we'd never forget. So, so thank you sincerely for that. Um, it will stay with me. But But what prompted it? Why did you do it? Do you know, like you say there, it's, it's easy to thank one fan by giving them a shirt. And I think players get criticised for not going over to fans at the end of the game. And I think a lot of players don't do that because they're the, the performance or the way that they performed and they're not they're, they're embarrassed at the way that they performed. But I always used to do it as thanks for the fans. For me, fans spend their hard-earned money. Watching, watching football and following football is not a cheap hobby. Mm. They, they, they spend the money week in and week out and they support the team week in and week out. And we don't often, and we, we find it very hard to say thank you. Um, and just to be just to be part and realise that there's there's a human element to it as well. Uh, and that was the biggest thing for me. Like the time and when the Spurs fans sang happy birthday to me mm. and then I kicked all the footballs in there. And it was a case that I could do, rather than just a shirt or a pair of gloves, it was a case of 20 or 30 balls that I could put back in. And it was just a... Uh, it's very, very difficult to, without standing there with a megaphone, like you say, in Prague or shouting to everybody, it's very difficult to say, look, we really appreciate everything you do. Apologies that we were really poor today. We, we didn't, we, this was the case, that was the case. And it's very difficult for players to have a voice back in that time. Now on social media, it's completely different. And players do actually speak too much on it and they get panned for it. But we didn't have that access and fans didn't have that access to us at that time. So just, you do get back in a team, um, <clears throat> go on to, to lift the League Cup. Uh, a rare honour for Spurs, your, your first major honour. You made 498 club appearances, scoring twice, as, as we've discussed. 41 England caps played at World Cup. Part of the lead squad that went on to uh, reach a Champions League semi-final. This this League Cup, how big a highlight in your career was that? Well, that's why you've teed me up. You've read, me, read it before. It's the <laughs> biggest thing in my career. Yeah. Um, you know, pulling on the England jersey, your England debut, playing for your country at a World Cup is the biggest honour. But I grew up in a generation of watching the FA Cup final, watching the Rumbelows Cup, watching the League Cup. To climb the steps at Wembley and to lift the trophy was the pinnacle of my career. It was such a huge achievement for me. And the fact, you know, going back to what we were talking before about one day Ramos and me leaving and knowing that the writing was on the wall, I knew that I was going at the end of that season because of my relationship with the manager. I didn't want to sit there on the bench. I knew that I needed a new voice. I knew that that manager wasn't going to get the best out of me and get me playing to the level that I wanted to be playing at. And to be fair, I knew that he didn't want me around and he didn't rate me. But for me to be picked in that final, to win a trophy... That was the biggest gift you could ever give back to Spurs fans. And it was it was a huge day for me, a massive day in my career. Paul, look, let, let, let's talk now a little bit about what's going on at the moment. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier um, uh, that, that you were one of the few keepers at that time that could survive in today's world with, with, with your play with the feet. How do you think Vicario, though, has settled? Um, uh, and, and, and has he come in? He, he looks pretty good with his feet, great shot stopper. A lot of attributes that you have. No, I think he's done really well. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that was he was unknown when he came in, let's say, to a lot of people. Mm. Um, he's got a decent amount of experience for his age. Um, and I think he's done really, really well to keep Hugo out of the team. I think Hugo deserves a, a send-off. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I'm disappointed the way, if, if he leaves the club, that, that he won't, but if he doesn't play again, mm. delighted that he's still around at the moment. I just think the, the, the servant that he's been, the service he's given to the club... Um, He's, he deserves a proper send off the amount of years that he's been there, but everybody has their has their time. Everybody, you know, father time catches up with everybody. Um, but I think with with Vicario, they look to have found a, an ideal replacement or certainly somebody who will challenge him this season for for, for that number one jersey. And Paul, obviously the big one this Sunday um, against Arsenal, a game of course you you know very well having played ten times. You watched Arsenal on Sunday. How did you see their performance and? The keeper situation, how do you see that panning out? Well, that's a difficult one, the keeper situation. I mean, we can talk about that all day. I think Mikel Arteta's made a real statement. I think he's he's called his number one. Aaron Ramsdale's it was under pressure from the start of the season when they brought David Rea in. You don't bring a keeper of that quality and that price tag on loan 
with the intention of buying him if you're happy with what you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Aaron Ramsdale, he's, it's a real kick in the teeth for him. Done well this season. I, like many others, raised eyebrows when he was signed at the beginning of last season. thought he grew into the role. I thought his relationship with the manager, the team, was excellent last year. And I think that will be affected this year, especially the relationship with the manager after what he's done to him. You don't play for your country in midweek and get dropped by your club side at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Whether Arteta's preempted that at the start of the season, thinking, right, I can see why he's brought David Ray in because he wants to play out from the back. They want to play a different style. And they made that intent quite clear at Everton at the weekend. They took the, the, the kick off, the very first kick of the game. They went straight back to David Ray, who was stood in the middle of his, his centre halves. And he spent half the game halfway up the field. They used him a lot more than they would Ramsdale. Um, but as, as far as um, Ramsdale goes, I, I can't see him getting back in the team anytime soon. Mikel Arteta will back the questions away. He'll go, oh, it's all right, we, we need two quality players in each position. We've got the Champions League coming up. We've, we've got a lot of games coming up. But as a goalkeeper, you need continuity, you need yeah. stability, and you need confidence. Yeah. And like I say, you play for your country as number one on Wednesday and get dropped by your club side on, on Sunday. There's, there's time and places to do certain things. If you're going to bring David Rea in, no, no disrespect. A home game against PSV on Wednesday night in the Champions mm, League a is a lot easier mm. berth than going to Everton away on a Sunday. So, I, just on that, I read Peter Schmeichel say goalkeeper is not a position where you want competition. So, you you agree with that? You just want to get your head down, and if you do make a mistake, know that you're not getting dropped. I mean, Ramsdale's not even made a mistake, and, he, and he's suddenly been, Listen, been dropped. We're, we're a weird bunch. We're, we're, we're weirdos as goalkeepers. <laughs> and anyone who tells you that they like competition for that number one place is either extremely weird or they're lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you like to feel loved, you like yeah. to feel wanted, and you like to be the number one. It affects your status in the dressing room, it affects your status around the team. All of a sudden, that number one status where you're untouchable, you're not untouchable anymore. You know, your position is under threat. It's it's different. I mean, football is changing, and that's what Mikel Arteta will tell you, that's what other managers will tell you. To an extent, De Zerbi's done it at Brighton, but you don't change your goalkeeper unless you're happy, if you're not happy with him. Yeah. Paul won't keep you much longer. Just just a little one on, on Ange to start to Spurs season and, and a little prediction, uh, if you may, for, for Sunday. Oh, Ange is brilliant, isn't he? I mean, yeah. it's, it's just been a breath of fresh air. I, mean, I spoke to you before us and I spoke on record recently. We finally got a manager that it doesn't feel like they're doing you a favour by yeah, being exactly. at your football club yeah, yeah, with yeah, Mourinho yeah. and Conte. That's what it what it's what it's felt like. Yeah. And the press conferences and the the, the, the the constant battling for players. And it's... It's just the style of football, really, isn't it? I mean, I was been at a couple of Spurs games this year and at the Burnley game, listening to the Spurs fans thinking we've got our Tottenham back. Yeah. That, that tells you everything. Yeah. Um, it's been a, a poor watch for the last 12, 18 months, playing five at the back at home, two holding midfielders, hitting teams like Bournemouth on the break, playing yeah. on the counter-attack. It really has been a poor watch. But I think with Ange, it's it's a breath of fresh air. It's it, This and there's going to be bumps in the road. You're not going to get sucked into thinking that we're, we're going to go on and everything's going to be smooth and we're going to we're going to sweep everybody aside. I think the weekend against Sheffield United showed you that there are, there are going to be bumps in the road at times. But I, for, for him personally, I've spent no time in his company personally, listened to his press conferences, been in a couple of his press conferences. He speaks for a reason. He doesn't speak when it's not necessary. He commands a room, speaks a lot of sense. And I think he does that in the dressing room. And the, the, the players will respond to that. Um, that uh, and the second part of your question is, what's what's the expectation for this year? Well, you asked me that at the beginning of the season when we've got a load of upheaval, we've got a new manager coming in who wasn't appointed immediately and we've lost Harry Kane. It would be, you know, to try and get a top six finish. Problem is now, great start to the season. With mm. success comes expectation. Yeah, don't which say it. Don't say it. It's <laughs> only we sat second unbeaten on the same same record as Arsenal yeah. uh, and, and in that short term success all of a sudden the expectation rises what's a good season um, a European place we get some European football back yeah. what's a fantastic season break the top four what's an incredible season break the top four and get a pot in the cabinet yeah. which we've only got the FA Cup left realistically haven't we yeah Oh, the Premier League. Um, <laughs> thought, thoughts? Quick... The expectations. <laughs> uh, quick thoughts on Sunday. You actually said to me uh, we might win four three. I'm, I'm Oof, sure yeah. my heart could take that. Oh, listen, there's going to be goals, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, I saw Arsenal at Everton at the weekend. They struggled to break them down. Everton played with a low block and they frustrated them. Ange ain't going to do that. He's going to go out and try and score more goals than they are. He's not going to apologise and change his style for anybody. This isn't a manager that you're going to see change his system and play five at the back and three holding midfielders just because they're away at Arsenal. He's going to go for it. And that, listen, that plays into their hands for a certain point. They like the holes behind, they like the space and they've got the players to exploit that. But so have we in the final third. Mm. I think there's one guarantee this weekend that both teams will score. And as like I said to you, could be four all, but I fancy us to edge it by one. I'll tell you that. 
absolutely take that Paul brilliant really great to talk to you a little trip down memory lane and talk about goalkeepers and your goal and, and what's going on at Spurs so thanks so much for joining us cheers Paul thank right, you very much cheers thank you thank you what a brilliant chat with Robbo uh, yeah, superb oh. chat with Robbo he can come again <laughs> he can come again especially listen he's predicted us to either draw four all or, or win four three you were at the four all we've discussed this yeah not having that again well I'd have it again but it would be uh, putting us through the ringer but some great insight from Paul and some great stories. Yeah, I mean, first things first, I couldn't help but notice everything was we. 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 Mm, I yeah. love it. Yeah. Lo- love it. Love him. Yeah, um, Yeah. some great stories. Brilliant um, from, from, from Robbo to come on. He, he's probably a bit more confident than I am about the game on the weekend. Um, I think I'm interested to see who Ange goes with up front because uh, Arsenal do play so high that I think somebody like Brennan Johnson could have opportunities to really get in behind them with his pace and I'd quite like to see that I'd like to see Johnson start with Son plus Richarlison however it turns out but definitely I want to see Johnson in the team getting in behind them um, come on then prediction do I have to yes I, I'm going to go with the draw okay Jake Robson I'm going to go with the draw as well but I do. I agree with you. I'd love to. I don't think Johnson. I think it's too early for him. Why? He knows what the Premier League is. No, I, I would like to see it. I just don't think he caused him a bit of bother in the Forest game this season. Really, sure, because oh, Arsenal true. defends so but, high up the pitch. You know, and I think if, first things first. For me, it always looks like I know they've conceded a few early goals this season, but they do try to start very, very fast. And I think we have to really try and keep it tight for the first 10, 15 minutes. And if in that time we can get them turning back towards their own goal a couple of times, chasing uh, uh, Johnson or Son, then that will force them straight away 10 yeah, yards I, I back. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be horrible. And, and I, if we do lose, I'm going to have to do my prediction. I think we might just lose by the odd goal. But, we might, but we I might. keep changing my mind, and I think we're going to go and Ange them and win two one or but, whatever. But we but might lose by the old goal. What I'm trying to say is, I can't see us getting played off the park. No, I agree, and also we can't. You can't judge Ange on this game. It could be our first defeat, and all the gooners will be like, "What's this Ange, but we've just beaten you." <laughs> he's not to be judged on this game. Let me tell you, if we beat them, we can judge him and say he's, he's, <laughs> he's amazing. He's Listen, you know, he, he took Celtic, I think, to the Bernabeu, right? And and they got the, the scoreline doesn't look pretty. But the first half hour of that game... Yeah, they took the game. They should have been 3 or 4 nil up. That was, was at home. That was at home. Was at home. They, they, yeah. they, they, they should have been 3 or 4 nil up against Real Madrid. He's, he ain't scared of these teams. No, he's not. And he'll stick to his principles. Like Robbo said, he will stick to his principles. He's not going to change who he is and what he does. And he's going to give the players belief mm. that they can go and do it. And why can't they? Yeah. He's given me belief. I'm just nervous. I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying we're going to win, but I think I think we're, we're you know, it's going to be a good game. And I, and I think afterwards, Johnny, I think you'll... Um, it's going to be a horrible game. It's not going to no, be. A good, it's going to be a horrible, horrible. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a good game. I think for us as Tottenham fans, we'll come away from the game afterwards, and even if we lose, it's not going to be as it's not going to be as gutting or Hopefully. as crushing as it. Well. Can you take us to Marbella to watch it there? <laughs> <laughs> when now? It's, all right. Yeah, it's let's horrible. Do it. It's horrible out there, gents. Uh, brilliant show going through the Sheffield United drama, and great uh, to hear Gary's memories already from that game. Jake, thanks for telling us that you've been on holiday again. <laughs> You you coming back next week or? I'll be here next. You'll week. be here next yeah. week. We have got another I'll big game. Best. Another big game to talk about next week, at Liverpool. But hopefully we can do better than the predictions of draw, draw, defeat at Arsenal. But we we take a draw, and it's all about the performance. But gents, thanks for joining us, and uh, see you next week. Good luck this week, and up the Spurs. <laughs> <laughs>